in a world where most people watch movies and then forget about them. Three brave heroes join forces to watch them again and then talk about them. Join them in their epic journey as they go back in time, a decade and beyond, to revisit and break down films from a vast array of genres. Do these movies hold up over time? Are they classics? Find out on Retro Movie Roundtable. Starring your hosts, Brian Fry, Chad Robinson, and Russell Guest. Coming now to Headphones in Your Ears. Hello, all your lords, ladies, and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable. Welcome to the show where we watch movies and then talk about them. I'm your host, Russell Guest, and I am excited because joining me today is my good friend and co-host from right here in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Chad Robinson. How are you doing, sir? I'm excited to talk some movies, Russell. Yes, I am excited to be talking movies again. What's the best way to talk about new movies, Chad? With a new guest. With a new guest. That is, that's a great answer because we have a new guest on coming to us from also in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Peyton. Faust, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks. Nice to join. Well, Peyton, I know you quite well, but now the listeners at home want to get to know you a little better. So, during this COVID crisis, the movie theaters have uh, kind of stopped and delayed a number of movies. What movie is it you're most looking forward to seeing when this COVID crisis lifts? I'm probably most looking forward to A Quiet Place Part 2. Good choice. And I have not seen the first one yet, so obviously I need to get caught up then. It sounds like that was worth being excited over the second one. That was a great one to see in theaters. It's the only time people shut up. Like, not even, <laughs> no one was even eating popcorn. It was stunning. So, Chad, you don't like the people who'd, like, talk during the movie? <laughs> if it's a comedy, go for it. If it's a serious horror movie and you have the, he's right behind you? No. Stop. All right. And uh, so, Peyton, who is your favorite actress? My favorite actress, probably at the moment, I'd have to say Melissa McCarthy. Ah, yes. Yes. I'm, <laughs> I'm a big fan of hers. Yeah. Is there an effort of hers that you most enjoy? I, I'd have to say The Heat. That's probably one of my favorite movies that she's in. But you can't go wrong. <laughs> I, I won't forget, like, she popped in my ra radar in Bridesmaids. She wasn't the lead actress on that, but, like, she stole the show. It just made me laugh so much with all the dogs and the, uh, just the very direct in-your-face mannerisms. Chad, have I asked you this one before, who your favorite actress is? I've probably given a fake answer. I don't really have a favorite actor or actress. I mean, right now, I'm anything with Samara weaving in it, I'm seeing and trying to see, but... No, that's just a trend for right now. Okay. Peyton, what is the last movie you saw? The last movie I saw was Where the Millers. Oh, another Ooh. good one. These are good movies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you guys are getting paid? <laughs> uh, Chad, what about you? What was the last movie you saw? I introduced Sarah to 2020's version of The Invisible Man. Oh, okay. Wait, not the Kevin Bacon one. No, I really recommend it. It's got some great themes. It's a great twist on it. The original back in the 50s is awesome, too. But uh, the 2020 version is worth your time. Hmm. Okay. I will have to check that out. Uh, the last movie I saw, I watched Silver Linings Playbook. It was just on uh, Netflix, and I checked it out. I enjoyed it. Another one of those mislabeled comedies. Uh, it wasn't a knee slapper, but it was interesting. So. Yeah. What movie are we doing today, Chad? The Dark Knight. 
That's right. The Dark Knight comes out in 2008. It grosses $530.9 million. I did not mess that up, surprisingly. It it made that much. It held the box office record for largest opening weekend of all time. Still, it broke all the records. It placed number one in the box office for that year. And the movie that came in behind it was Iron Man, which that made 200.5 million less. So that's how much moon. Uh, that's how much money this one made. So even the mighty Marvel Cinematic Universe couldn't compete with this. So. IMDb gives The Dark Knight a 9.0. The Critics of Rotten Tomatoes gives it a 94%, and the audience score is a dead-even 94% with that as well. It gets two Academy Awards, Best Supporting Actor for Heath Ledger and Best Sound Editing, and it was nominated for six others, Best Art Direction, Best Cinematography, Film Editing, Makeup, Sound Mixing, and Visual Effects. And it won the Golden Globes for Best Supporting Actor, and it was nominated for nine BAFTAs, but it only won one, so... The British only gave it one winner. So, now Peyton, had you seen The Dark Knight before? I have. I've actually seen this movie a few times. What was it like the first time you saw it? The first time I saw it, I was definitely a lot younger. Um, so I think to see Heath Ledger as a Joker, it was a little intimidating. I mean, it's a it's a dark movie. He's an intimidating looking villain, but I really did enjoy it. Returning to it now, how's it holding up for you? <sighs> It's still excellent. I'd have to say it's probably probably in my top three for something I can sit down and watch again and um, probably could recite it. <laughs> top three superhero movies or top three movie movies? Top three movie movies. Wow. High praise. Wow. Yeah. And Chad, have you seen The Dark Knight before? Of course. I'd have to turn in my nerd card. You would, you would, but don't worry. It's uh, it's in good shape. It's laminated now. Uh, <laughs> now, what was it like seeing it back when it came out? I was hesitant. I had not seen Brokeback Mountain at that point, so what I knew Heath Ledger from was uh, Ten Things I Hate About You and A Knight's Tale. I was like, you're getting the dude from Knight's Tale, which I love and will defend, to play the Joker, and I I can remember some of the previews kind of turning the tide a little bit but i was blown away when i saw it in theaters it's like oh my goodness this is this is great they're continuing they they made batman begins better and that's rare so had you seen it over the years or had it been a while yeah it's one i revisit i'll probably hit the dark knight trilogy once every couple of years or so is it your favorite of the trilogy, or is it the one that you're featured in your favorite? <laughs> yeah, my wife and I are in The Dark Knight Rises, but this is my favorite. It's the best one. Okay. For me, I saw this movie when it came out, and I really enjoyed Batman Begins, and I was couldn't wait. And so sometimes I'm a victim of high high expectations. But I'm also, uh, I also had a conflicting uh, feeling because I love the 1989 Batman. I was four years old when that came out and I loved it. I've probably spoken about it several times in this podcast. It's one of my earliest movie going experiences where I just loved it. And I kind of have this like thing where it's like, that's my Joker, that's my Batman. And when I went to do The Dark Knight, this was a very, very different experience. I actually kind of had this visceral like, mm, I'm not sure this is what I want out of my Batman. It's it's a little mean-spirited. It's too dark. And it's one of those things where I put it down for a long time and I didn't really come back to it. And I appreciated the other chapters a little more so because they're not quite as dark as this. It's interesting coming back to it now. I am able to separate it a little bit more. I'm still always going to love the Jack Nicholson 
Michael Keaton version, but I now have been able to shed away some of my animosity towards it for being not that thing that it was when I was younger. So you hear Chad frequently groan when someone says Star Wars prequels or newer Star Wars movies. I think I had that a little bit with Batman and I'm starting to get over it. Which is weird because this is actually excellent and has no Jar Jar Binks. It does not have Jar Jar Binks, but should it though? No, no, it should not. Misa Two-Face, flip coin. They could have had Calendar Man or some other lame condiment king. Condiment king, nice. Yes. Yes. And I also, I should mention, I grew up with Adam West, Batman. So like the pow, like speech bubbles are biff, boom, uh, where it's super corny. That was, that was me also cutting my teeth on Batman as well. So I'm coming from a very different perspective. I'm coming around to it. So knowing that <laughs> everybody's biases are on the table now. So, but we will spoil the Dark Knight in detail after these messages. So we will return after this. Do you love sci-fi, horror, and fantasy films? Then grab a badge for Otherworlds Film Festival, the country's premier sci-fi film festival. There will be Q&As, panels, parties, and mixers. Rub elbows with up-and-coming and established filmmakers, as well as like-minded filmgoers. Come celebrate our seventh year, December 3rd through 6th, at the Galaxy Highland in Austin, Texas. Badges are now for sale at otherworldsfilmfest.com. That's otherworldsfilmfest.com. All right, we're back, and this is your final warning. There will be spoilers that lie ahead, so if you haven't seen The Dark Knight, you're going to want to go back, watch it, and then continue to listen to this. Chad, do you want to give people at home a recap on what happens in The Dark Knight if they haven't seen it since 2008? So a mere nine months after the events of Batman Begins, Gotham City is under siege by gang warfare and mob activity. The Joker, a new threat to the peace and order that Batman strives to establish, has risen from the chaos and offers to get rid of the Batman. There's hope for the ordinary people of Gotham, though. A new district attorney, Harvey Dent, is tirelessly pursuing the mob, as well as attempting to clean up the corrupt Gotham PD. Bruce Wayne is impressed by Dent and believes that one day Batman can retire and the mantle can be taken up by good, ordinary men like Jim Gordon and Harvey Dent. During an ongoing mass trial, the Joker appears and attempts to kill those involved, including Police Commissioner Loeb, the judge involved with the trial, the mayor, and Harvey Dent himself. Joker promises to keep killing people until Batman reveals his identity. Being the noble White Knight, Harvey Dent takes the fall instead of Bruce, even as Bruce was ready to turn himself in. Harvey and Batman's love interest, Rachel Dolls, who also happens to be Harvey's girlfriend, are abducted by dirty cops and placed in separate locations rigged to blow. Batman must choose who to save, and he chooses Rachel. Unfortunately, the information Joker gave was deliberately mixed up, and he winds up saving Harvey, who has half of his face severely burned during the rescue. The Joker threatens to destroy a hospital and corrupts Harvey Dent, turning him into the schizophrenic villain known as Two-Face. Harvey begins going on a revenge tour while Joker rigs two fairies with explosives and forces the occupants to choose which fairy to destroy. There's a big showdown in an incomplete skyscraper where Batman is ultimately able to defeat the Joker and save the lives of those on the ferry. 
He then learns that Harvey Dent has kidnapped Jim Gordon's family and intends to inflict the same pain on Jim as was inflicted on him by the loss of Rachel. Batman kills Harvey by tackling him over a ledge. He then persuades Jim Gordon to hold him responsible for Dent's killing spree because the city couldn't take their white knight falling. The police launch a manhunt for Batman who has lived long enough to see himself become the villain. Well done, well done. Now, Peyton, why is the Joker such a good movie here? Because I think that's why people got so excited for this. You know, I think that he, like, I mean, you know, you look and he's coming from, you know, movies like 10 Things I Hate About You. And he's such a dark, sinister and just bizarre character. He's forcing a rift and he's choosing, he's trying to out, you know, the hero of the movie and bring him down to, you know, everybody else's level. Yeah, yeah. Chad, how, how, how is the Joker for you in this one? I think he even gets described by uh, Alfred as an agent of chaos, but he really just embodies that for me. He's, he's got these ticks and this unpredictability. He licks his lips constantly, and he, he has no rhyme or reason for what he does. He just does. And that's, that's terrifying. And I, I like what the joker says to batman of you created me you broke the rules you broke law and order i i'm here to balance what you're doing and it's just that struggle between order and chaos yeah he's exceptionally good at attacking batman's weaknesses you know he challenges him by making him or putting him in a situation where you know he is challenged to kill and that's like Batman has a no-kill policy. He's head-on-head. Head. Like, Batman represents order, and he represents chaos, and they're kind of in this fight for the soul of Gotham City. So they have the same goal. And that makes a good villain when they're rivaling your hero for the same thing, but obviously what they stand for, what they do, are complete opposites. I just think that that is really good writing. And, I mean, that's, that's stuff from back in the Bob Kane days, but Nolan did a really good job of taking that and... Uh, I would say advancing those themes here as well uh, as a director. Peyton, are you a fan of Batman as a hero? And how is The Dark Knight for you? It sounds like this is your favorite version of Batman. Why is this your favorite Batman? This is my favorite Batman. I'm a fan of Christian Bale, so I kind of have that bias, I guess. But I mean, he plays like the perfect Bruce Wayne, you know, the rich, suave people person kind of playboy type of guy but you know i think he really pulls off that judd that law and order type character as well and he does it so well and i just think that from the first movie batman begins and he really takes that character and he just really embodies it very well yeah yeah what about you chad who's your go-to batman oh man i really like bale and the bat suit but and i'm gonna duck when i say this i really like clooney as bruce wayne what I, I feel like the that embodiment wasn't even on the multiple choice exam. It, 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 <laughs> the embodiment of rich playboy, I think of someone that looks like George Clooney. He's kind of got my wife even constantly puts him down. She's like, he has an air of arrogance or smugness. So I like George Clooney, but I, I thought he was great as Bruce Wayne. Just bad Batman movies. Wow. That's the hot take of the episode right there you come you came out you came out swinging yeah i hurt russell's <laughs> feelings right there i mean i don't know about that you hurt your credibility 
and I, I showed my cards a little bit earlier in the in the, in the uh, background, but I, I'm a Keaton guy. But I do like Christian Bale quite a bit. He's he's a darker, uh, I would say more tortured Batman, and I would say Keaton. There's darkness in him, but he has this uh i i'm very ahead of the game like there's there's an intelligence that i see in keaton's portrayal here whereas i see bale still maturing as a character he's coming off of batman begins and here he's learning to deal with an entirely new kind of villain so again joker's a good villain on this one because it it forces him to confront a new kind of villain he thinks that he has them all painted uh clearly he knows how villains tick and then here comes the joker it's not he's not motivated by money he's not motivated by power he's he is as his name implies he's a joker he's a wild card and batman's never had to deal with that before and so fighting that kind of evil is a very different experience for him so i see bale being mentored a lot through his butler alfred in the first movie and that continues into this movie so i think bale does a great job of kind of exhibiting growth as a character whereas keaton's like I'm the seasoned Batman. I got this all. I got this all under control. This is how we do things here. So, and that's a very different kind of portrayal of the two characters. It was interesting to hear him quote Ra's al Ghul when he says criminals aren't complicated. That's exactly what Ra's al Ghul said in Batman Begins. Mm. To your point, it's it's him learning. Like he had these. These are how criminals act, and then Joker shows up. In terms of the Joker's, uh, Peyton, real quick, have you seen? the new joker movie and have you seen 89 batman i have seen the new joker but i have not seen 89 or no i think i have seen it yeah but it was a while ago so kind of a similar question how is heath ledger's joker for you in comparison to other iterations of the joker that you may have seen out there the new if you're looking at the newest uh the joker movie they're just entirely different because the last year's joker it takes on more of a um, mental illness aspect of the Joker. And I mean, from that, he's an ordinary man, but he has mental illness. And I mean, that movie really takes on kind of his backstory, which we don't really see in The Dark Knight. Uh, we don't really, I mean, we don't get a backstory on the Joker. We get snippets, but this newest movie, it, it just, it really introduces you to him as a whole. Yeah, it was an interesting take. I actually rewatched part of that i i went through and went through the generations of jokers went back to the 1989 my favorite is still mark hamill the animated series if you've played any of the arkham asylum arkham city games he does the voice of joker there i really think he captures the madness and the laugh and kind of the vindictive evil mark hamill's just wonderful and there's probably star wars influence there but heath ledger is right behind him for me uh, he's my number two. Just the unpredictability that he adds to it in the guessing game and what's making this guy tick. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix's was interesting, but I this movie nails it for me. I don't want my Joker to have a backstory. This is a theme that Russell keeps hearing throughout the podcast. I don't want backstories to things. I don't need an explanation. Uh, Joaquin did a wonderful job. See the movie. Check it out. It's got some great themes. But I think Cesar Romero and the old Adam West would be number three for me. Sorry, Russell. Jack Nichols. I love Cesar. Oh, 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 I'm sorry. I didn't realize what you're doing. I thought you were, uh, yeah, no, that that is bad what you did there. I see what you did there. He would be above Jack just because that's, I think, 
that's the influence of that's what I grew up with. But Jack would be right there. Jared Leto's last. I think we can all agree with that. Mm, yeah. I actually like Jared Leto as an actor, but yeah, I'm going to put him in my last place as well. But for me, I, I do have Jack Nicholson at the top, but I'll try not to belabor that point. I, I do think what Ledger did was not what I expected from the character, because I am familiar with that Mark Hamill version from the animated series that you're talking about, where everything's a joke. He's laughing. He's making this whole situation that Batman takes very seriously and he's trivializing it. He's saying, you're a joke to Batman. And we don't see that here as much. Here he's trying to break Batman's spirit as well as take over the soul of the city. And that's a very different kind of portrayal of what the Joker is or what I had thought. And like I said, I think it was an interesting take on it this time. It's a much younger Joker than we've seen any time before. This is the only time, to my knowledge, where the Joker is going to be younger than Batman. That was another thing that kind of made me not so sure about it. And you're right, in the comic books, Joker doesn't have a, a backstory. He's an agent of chaos. But, you know, I did kind of like that backstory that they put into it. And they made him the one who killed Batman's parents in the 89 Batman. That made Joker, like, the number one villain, which he is. But, I mean, that put him above all the other villains that Batman would go on to face. Uh, that's an alteration. But yeah, this this Joker did something really different, and he's the much more intelligent Joker than any of the other ones. I mean, he's playing chess while everybody else is playing checkers, and to some degree, that's almost like something you would see out of the Riddler, or if you're versed enough in the Batman villains, uh, Fugit, who's always got another step ahead, always got a plan, this mastermind, this tactician. And this Joker doesn't really make jokes. I mean, he does a pencil trick where he makes a pencil disappear, but it's not all a big joke to him. He's actually pretty serious about it. In fact, somebody called him a clown and a freak at one point, and he kind of recoils and is like, I don't like that. You can kind of see that on his face. Yeah, if you ever want a darker version of the Joker, and it doesn't seem like you do, Russell, but... Uh... I don't. Stuff like The Killing Joke, uh, it's a very famous comic, and it got turned into the movie. The movie's frame rate isn't great, but it was released on Netflix. It's a very dark, painful version of the Joker to go through. He is mean. He kills, like in this movie. So you've got a much meaner version, but you still get the Kevin Conroy from the animated series and the Mark Hamill voices, so that's always nice. Uh-huh. One of the things that I like about Batman is the character, and Peyton kind of alluded to this, he has to play three characters. He's Bruce Wayne. He's Bruce Wayne in public, meaning the, the facade of Bruce Wayne, the, the public image of what he wants to be as Bruce Wayne, and he's Bruce Wayne as Batman. Do you have any thoughts on the plurality of Batman or how the Joker interacts with Batman? I think he handles it, you know, it just in time to out that image to more so you know he wants to make him down again he wants to bring everyone down to his level of hatred of chaos there is no hiding from the joker from any of these villains he is he's an agent of chaos he and i mean alfred says this he says there's some men who just want to watch the world burn the joker he wants to watch the three faces of Bruce Wayne and the Batman character. He wants to watch him burn. He wants to watch this public image, this private image, just come down to nothing. I mean, you look and you see that scene when the Joker comes in during uh, the dinner party for Harvey Dent, and that's the public face of Bruce Wayne. That's the uh, philanthropist, you know, giving public image, and then he goes and he kills Rachel. And that's his private life. And that's really who he is at his core. He loves her. And then he tries to out him 
as the Batman, which Harvey Dent ultimately takes the fall for. It's interesting because he starts out saying, it's easy, we kill the Batman. But then you find out his real motive when he's fighting with Batman and he says, I don't want to kill you. His real goal is to just break him down and make him, as he says, break his one rule. They don't even say what the one rule is, but it's kind of understood. It's just fascinating that he's hes not actually trying to kill him. He's just trying to corrupt him and make him fall from grace. And he does it with Harvey Dent. To your point with Bale, he does a good job. He's a very good character actor, so he's able to change those masks out between arrogant, unsympathetic playboy that's crashing his Lamborghini, and it's totally believable to... You know, philanthropist and then serious gravelly Batman. Yeah, I think his um, public persona, Bruce Wayne, is actually probably the best of all of the Bruce Waynes because he does come off as kind of arrogant and dislikable. And, you know, I mean, Keaton's Bruce Wayne is eccentric. Who buys that thing? Or that's the guy in the, the mansion up on the hill kind of thing. I don't really, nobody really gets him. Bale's cover is probably the most believable to not be believable as Batman. When somebody kind of figures out that he is Bruce Wayne in the Dark Knight and kind of threatens to out him, it's like, nobody's going to believe you kind of a thing. And that's because he's done such a good job of building up the public image of what Bruce Wayne is. Yeah, falling asleep in the boardroom. That was great. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Now, Two-Face. We haven't talked about him yet. Peyton, do you like this character? I have mixed feelings about him. I think he is. He's the perfect white knight. He is the the public golden angel, I guess you could say. He kind of comes off as naive to me. I mean, he's not, but, you know, like with his coin, he, he does. He makes his own luck. And I mean, it's realistically, you don't really do that. But Harvey Dunn believes it. But he also, he cracks down on crime, which, you know, makes him Gotham City's white knight. He isn't scared to take down the criminals. But I mean, ultimately... Seeing what happens to him, he does make a good villain, but it just, I love that that personable white knight version of Harvey probably more than I do Two-Face. Okay, so it's, so it's hard to watch the fall from grace for you then. It is, yeah. She believes in Harvey Dent. <laughs> <laughs> this had to be an interesting one for you because, you know, you're so attached to the early series and you've got Billy D. Williams, who is excellent, and then you've later... Got uh, Tommy Lee Jones, which that movie just, that was a mess, but that's not Tommy. The movie's got problems, but I don't mind his him being Two-Face, if that makes sense. Yeah, he's kind of got that snarl that I was used to in the animated series. Yeah, I, I like that he's still trying to keep to some code, even when he loses the sanity. Uh, when he starts going on a killing spree, he still has a code, and that code is now his coin. Everything else broke down, but... If it's heads, you you live. You know, the, the cop that was directly responsible for killing Rachel, he lets her live. He's just like, all right, <laughs> it's heads, lucky you. He still hits her. I think he's so broken, that's all, that he, he, he demands fairness, but he doesn't believe in the world anymore, and so he leaves it to chance. Right. I mean, it's a character out of the comic books, but I mean, I think that they did it in a dramatic and realistic way, in a very impressive way, actually. I think Two-Face lives in a different kind of version of Batman to some degree. And this one, they did a really good job of transforming it for this version. I actually, this is not a popular opinion, but I found the storyline of Harvey Dent's fall 
more interesting than necessarily what was going on with the Joker and Batman. Now you can throw things at me. <laughs> uh, that's fine. It It is interesting regardless of Batman or... I mean, Batman's already breaking all kinds of rules. You may have a point of it's more interesting to corrupt the guy that has all the rules versus corrupt the guy that only has one. And I think there's a duality within him as well. We see him go dark at one point and himself he's so absolutely driven to do what's right he doesn't hold back the ends do justify the means for him we see a scene where through a series of well-played exchanges to try and capture the joker that he ends up gunpoint in front of the assassin who tried to take out the mayor and and uh, shot gordon and he's sitting there, you know, gun cocked in terms of flipping a coin and stuff like that, threatening to kill him. And you see this real darkness that's in him even before he takes the fall. And that darkness obviously wins out in the end through tragedy and through striking him where he hurts. Because not only did that hurt Batman, that's, this, that's also the same woman that he loves. And so he's absolutely as driven as Batman, but there's that darkness in him. The restraint that Batman has is not there for Harvey Dent. And so that duality of that light and darkness as a theme throughout this movie, there's a ton of foreshadowing moments when Harvey's date puts a card in front of his face or when he stands in the shadows and he, before the accident. And I think that that shows you the conflict that's within him that will then come to manifest itself on the exterior of his face. Yeah, you see the compromises throughout the movie. Just he starts giving in inch by inch and it's it's whittling away at him and then rachel happens and all all of it goes out the window yeah and it's poetic too to see who takes the blame for who i mean initially harvey takes the blame for batman for being batman and takes the burden off of bruce's shoulders but then later when he is corrupted batman covers it up and says the image of who we thought he was is more valuable than the truth and i'm going to take the fall for this and so batman ends up becoming both of them were kind of acting as the hero by falling on the sword themselves and by not being the good guy in the public side in this that was another interesting two sides of the coin as well you either die the hero or you live long enough to become the villain and uh, that was another bit of foreshadowing there as well before we go forward Body count, how many bodies would you think are racked up in this movie, Peyton? Ooh, 55. Okay, 55. And Chad, what is the body count? 40. Uh, you're a little bit closer, but you're both over. It's 36. Wow. That's still a lot for a Batman movie. It is. Yeah. And it could have had a whole ferry full of people on it, have things not gone very well. Actually, what did you think about the climax of the movie there between what they were saying in terms of uh, the faith that they were putting in these people, the Joker believed that they would play off of each other, Peyton. I think, you know, it really put humanity into that movie. Like, I mean, you have a ferry full of prisoners, like you would think, you know, are violent, murderous, dark people. And you have, you know, your day-to-day average mom, dads, siblings, kids. And I think that it's almost like you expect the prisoners to kind of choose themselves to to choose to be a criminal. But really, you see your day-to-day people. You know, you see the one man and he wants to take, he wants to choose. He wants to choose to press the button and 
he says that, you know, the criminals, like they've had their opportunity, they've made their mistakes and they don't have a second, they don't have another chance anymore. But, um, I think really you find the light in it. I think in this very dark movie, you kind of find the light in that people they're choosing to do better than the crime that surrounds Gotham and uh, the Joker. And I think it really, it frustrates him that he can't bring not only Batman, but the Gotham citizens like down to his level and down to that darkness like he is. Yep. Yeah. That was kind of in the climax of the movie where it didn't, he, he was expecting a very specific result and it didn't go his way. And it, that was kind of when Batman not only captured him, but when Batman kind of won over the soul of the city. Yeah, I, I totally don't believe that would happen. <laughs> I, I, I believe lawyer guy or whatever that took the detonator would press that with gusto. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought it was a nice introduction at the beginning of the movie because they're in a bank heist. And Joker's using the same, it's it's called game theory. The game theory tactics of playing his co-henchmen, I was going to say co-workers, that's not, that's too nice of a term, <laughs> his, his, his gangster squad <laughs> off of each other where they eliminate each other, thus each of them getting a bigger piece of the pie, but everybody keeps listening to it and soon the bodies really start to drop. And ultimately Joker walks off with all of the pie. You know, it's kind of like, you know, in the criminal justice system, two prisoners who are convicted together, they'll play them off of each other and they'll offer a, you know, reduced sentence or the ability to walk for one while the other one would get a huge time in jail. Or if they both keep their lips sealed, they're going to get a medium amount of time in jail. And so if you're in it together, you can both be out in two to three years. Whereas if you rat the other person out, you might walk and the other person's in jail for 10 years. And so the the likelihood of you both keeping your lips sealed, you're putting your faith in somebody else to not do the same thing. And so that's like the fairy saying like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do this. And if you don't do this, I won't do this and we'll both be okay. But then you're both kind of getting punished. And uh, that's the thing that, uh, that it works well in the legal justice system, because unless you have a vested interest that says that's my brother, then I would never rat out my brother. Whereas if it's just another criminal guy, it's his problem you know i'm gonna i'd rather be the first guy to raise my hand and get out of here faster so it's it's also a race to the clock for who will do it first and so the joker executes his plan in that fashion early in the movie and then he's not able to do it at the end and uh like you said Payne, it, it frustrates him and that's probably one of my favorite parts of the movie too like it's a dark dark movie and there's not a lot of brightness in it but uh you're right there's a shining little hope for humanity in there yeah chad you want to give people a cast rundown sure thing Heavy cast. First up, we've got Christian Bale, who is our Bruce Wayne slash Batman, the billionaire by day, mass vigilante by night. We've got Heath Ledger, talked about him a lot, that, who plays Joker, the clown prince of darkness. Aaron Eckert, who plays Harvey Dent, Gotham's district attorney, who is our tragic hero. Michael Caine, Sir Michael Caine, I guess, who plays Alfred Pennyworth. Bruce Wayne's butler and confidant. Maggie Gyllenhaal. Uh, she is the newly recasted Rachel Dawes coming off Katie Holmes' performance. And she is Bruce's love interest as well as Harvey's current girlfriend. We've got the chameleon Gary Oldman who plays Jim Gordon. He's our trusted police officer who works with Batman. Morgan Freeman who plays Lucius Fox. 
He's an employee at Wayne Enterprises who helps Batman with cool gear. He's essentially Q from the 007 movies. Uh, Monique Gabriella uh, Kernan, who plays Ramirez, a dirty female cop, and Ron Dean plays Wirtz, who is our dirty male cop. Have uh, underutilized Cillian Murphy. He is returning as the Scarecrow, one of the villains from Batman Begins. Chen Hall, uh, if you're a fan of Marvel movies as well, this guy pops up in everything. He plays Lau. Uh, he's our corrupt accountant who's good with numbers. Nestor Carbonell, he plays the mayor. Really not much else to say there. He's the mayor. And finally, I'm, I'm going to bring up Eric Roberts, who plays Sal Maroney. He is the lead mobster in town. And brother of Julia Roberts. Really? Yep. Wow. And you can also, fun fact, find him in the Killers Mr. Brightside video. Really? Yes. Wow. I, I love that song. I've never seen that video. Yes, he is Julia Roberts' older brother. Huh. He's not as smiley as her. That's probably why it didn't uh, connect for you. <laughs> I mean, he's a good-looking guy. Like, he's he's striking, so it's, that makes sense. But No, but I mean, like, she smiles a lot and... Yeah. Him here, he's got a yeah. he's a he's stone-faced, so. He smirks a lot. He's got a lot of confidence. Yes, he does. Yes. What do you think about this heavy cast, Peyton? There's uh, five Oscar winners in this. That's that's a lot of power in one movie. It is. It really is. Um I think this is a great cast. I mean, I love Michael Caine and I mean, of course, you can't go wrong uh with Morgan Freeman. Uh, he's great great actor. Can play really any role. I just want to know why he's not narrating this. Yeah, I yeah, I would have to agree. <laughs> you know, the voice of God. <laughs> um, yeah, no, he's great. Um, Christian Bale. I mean, I love him. I think he's always. I mean, he's a great actor, a great a great Batman. Heath Ledger. I was. I mean, he's just an amazing uh, Joker. I mean, you know, you see him from in various movies. Ten Things I Hate About You, where he's kind of, you know, that odd kind of dirt ball grease bag kind of guy and he's just he's he's completely 180 gary oldman i i he's another one of my favorite actors uh can't go wrong there either it's a great cast all around it's amazing when you can get michael Caine and morgan freeman to be what are they fifth and sixth build that's just that's amazing <laughs> you know oldman's yeah. down there around like eighth uh you know that's 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 deep yeah this this has to be one of our toughest movies on recast. I, we'll get to the superlatives later, but it was just like, man, they nailed it from top to bottom here. It's it's so impressive. And how do they get these people to do this movie? This wasn't a time. Now we live in an age where everyone wants to do a Marvel movie. Not everyone was piling up to do superhero movies. So this this really showed some faith in Christopher Nolan and what he could do. It's true. It's true. You know, Nolan uh, met Ledger before the casting of Batman Begins. He was actually involved in, in that, and he liked Ledger, but he thought he was wrong for the parts in that movie. But when the Joker came up for this movie, Nolan met with several other actors before Ledger, but then found them reluctant to take the role because of the popularity of Nicholson's large shadow. I wasn't, I, you know, because it, it is a large shadow, as I stated. And upon meeting Ledger again, Nolan recognized him as the perfect choice for the part. 
this was an unexpected casting, Nolan simply replied, because he's fearless. He didn't have that shadow of trying to live up to Jack or trying to do what Jack was doing. Ledger was willing to portray something completely different. And uh, as you mentioned, Chad, there were a lot of people who were afraid for him and thinking this isn't going to go well, this isn't going to go well. And then he surprised a lot of people. Yeah, that's why I'm giving Robert Pattinson a little bit of grace here for the new Batman casting. He was excellent in the lighthouse. I can't hold Twilight against him because he just, he spends his time making fun of it. He understands. He got his money. Now he gets to do what he wants. He's about to make a lot more money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I saw Paul Bettany was another one in line for the Joker. Another Knight's Tale alum. Most people are going to know him now as Vision from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I actually think he could have done a good job. Uh, Adrian Brody, Steve Carell, and Robin Williams were the others, though. Like, I... I scratch my head at that. I could see Adrian Brody playing one of the thugs. I think Robin could have done it, but I would have liked him to have done it when he was younger. It, it would be an interesting take. It would be a lot funnier, I'm sure. But Steve Carell is the one that I'm just like, yeah, you raised your hand, but why? <laughs> I don't know. He's pretty good in uh, Threat Level Midnight. <laughs> <laughs> my wife would have liked the... Uh, Matt Damon being offered the role of Harvey Dent turned it down for Invictus. I feel like Matt Damon is always considered for casting in every movie. It's just, as we do this, I always see that and Matt Damon was considered. I was just, it's just <laughs> always, it's just like, it's like the standard guy that's like, can we get Matt Damon? No? Okay, who else can we get? <laughs> yeah, there were worse. I, I can't imagine I saw Ryan Phillippe and Hugh Jackman for Harvey Dent. Like, just... Please don't do that. It does show you to give people another chance. I remember everybody was crucifying Ben Affleck for being selected as Batman. And while Ben Affleck's movies are not particularly good Batman movies, he's he wasn't the problem. Like, I, I, no. I remember getting to it and said, oh, there's problems here, but it's not Ben Affleck. Wow. <laughs> yeah, the Ben Affleck was the least of Batman versus Superman. That, uh, I was fine with it. I, I wasn't against that casting, but... Hugh Jackman, you, you've already got him playing Wolverine. I don't know why he needs to be involved with DC. That was just weird. James Gal Gandolfini, though, for Sal Maroney, that intrigues me. I, I like that. I thought uh, Eric Roberts did a good job, but I would have liked the Sopranos take, too. Peyton, you mentioned earlier liking the Joker. What is it from Heath Ledger in terms of how he portrays the character that just says, this is the top? Part of it, I would have to say, is just his, like, makeup. I think, you know, uh, you look at Jack Nicholson, he's kind of like a more, not a classic clown kind of look. Mm -hmm. But, you know, this Joker, he's kind of looks like he's kind of been through it in terms of, like, his clothes. Like, I mean, you have that, that suit in that purple suit that's uh, the classic, just, like, kind of almost elegant look. But then you have this makeup um, on top of it that increasingly, like, it becomes messier as the movie goes on. And I think, and just his ability to just, you know, that laugh, I think it's kind of that sinister laugh is what does it for me. He has that laugh that just kind of, it's like a bone chilling, ominous, dark, very sinister take. And I, and I always remember uh, for him, like it's, I associate him with these movies more than anything um, because probably like, you know, the opening Disney movies when they'd have those previews and it would just be that scene. And he's like, and here we go. Like that's, 
that's the thing that I associate most um, with Batman. It's just that scene, and he he's just chaotic. He's he's unpredictable, and he, I think he was like the one, the first Joker that I really learned to appreciate. I saw the old, the original Batman movies, and when I was younger, and they terrified me. So I think that's probably why I don't have such an appreciation for the other ones. But Jared Leto didn't do it for me at all. <laughs> Join the club. Somewhere <laughs> fries cheering. Yeah. But to your point, though, I mean, Heath Ledger was there was a lot of people who said that because uh, he died shortly after the release of this movie. And uh, there was a lot of speculation that said because he was so involved with this character that I guess he took he went to a hotel room for about six weeks to prepare for this and to in seclusion. And there were some people saying that he had become uh, depressed or had he dove too deep into his character and that drove him to his death. But later, thank goodness, uh, I didn't realize that was debunked. People who were on the cast were saying that he was enjoying this as like the role of a lifetime and that he was enjoying himself at doing this and his family later came out. You know, it was a drug toxicity that killed him. Ledger did suffer from insomnia throughout his life and so he was taking sleeping pills with other prescription drugs and uh, his sister had even warned him that night before his death about doing that and unfortunately the mix of drugs that he had taken that night became a fatal combination and so it wasn't uh, it was not a suicide attempt necessarily so it's a shame it was an accidental death and he we lost him too soon yeah it would have been interesting to see would he have been back in dark knight rises i don't think so i think you still need to focus on the story of bane but it would have been interesting we got scarecrow back yeah. I know for a fact Nolan and other interviews said that he wanted Bane in the third movie because nobody had physically matched Batman up at that point and he wanted a villain who was more physically imposing. That Batman did not have, you know, he would have to beat him with his mind. I don't think the Joker would have come in there, but it's fun to think of uh, what if uh, Christopher Nolan had kept making these and, you know, gone Marvel Cinematic Universe and then Brian's uh, wildest dreams of just give me 19 movies <laughs> which i'm kind of glad he didn't because nolan is so good yeah. i feel like somebody else probably should have taken the mantle from him and kept making this series of movies because it's good but on the other hand nolan is so good i wouldn't want to lose his other works yeah he, the next thing he went on to do was inception so yeah i wouldn't want to lose inception no we haven't mentioned this. Katie Holmes, this is an unusual circumstance. Katie Holmes does not return, and she does so by choice. She chooses to take the movie Mad Money, where she co-stars with Diane Keaton and Queen Latifah. It's a fine movie, but it's a strange acting choice. What do you think about her not returning and Maggie Gyllenhaal stepping into her shoes, Peyton? I was a little bit hesitant. I really haven't seen many uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal in really many movies. I really did like Katie Holmes. I thought she was a great uh, Rachel Dawes. It did surprise me at first uh, watching the second movie. And I'm like, wait a minute. I'm like, this isn't Rachel. Um, but I think ultimately Maggie Gyllenhaal, she does a good job. Um, unfortunately, she's only Rachel for one movie. But I think she plays the perfect girlfriend part, the love interest between uh, Harvey and Bruce Wayne. I think I, I think she she was a solid cast. So parallel universe, Aaron Eckhart, or sorry, um, two, Harvey Dent and Bruce Wayne could have both married Rachel because one of them could have married Katie Holmes and the other one could have married Maggie Gyllenhaal, and it all would have worked out for both of them. That's uh, that's that's one theory. <laughs> <laughs> The twin sister theory, yes. It's like, 
odd decision here of Batman Begins is a wild success and you chose to do the Queen Latifah movie. I think Queen Latifah's probably highest grossing movie is Ice Age. Well, that did make a lot of money, didn't it? I don't know. Oh, well, she's in Chicago. I I think I'd still put money on Ice Age being the highest grossing. But yeah, Chicago's a great movie. Check that out. And she does do a great job. Anyway, as we move forward, Peyton, Christopher Nolan as a director, do you enjoy his work and do you like it here? Oh, I love Christopher Nolan. I mean, his movies are just so well done. They're uh, executed flawlessly. I mean, I recently seen Dunkirk. I love that. I thought that was an excellent movie. Um, it's another one that I could probably sit down and watch a few times without without missing anything, without feeling like I'm wasting my time. Inception, great movie. It's a, it's a longer one, but it's also excellent. And uh, I loved Interstellar. That was a recent one of his that I had watched. I think he's, I think he really did this uh, trilogy very well. And he's a great, he's a great producer. Yeah. And have you done, have you done uh, Memento or Insomnia from before he's got into the Batman side of things? Not that I can remember. I'd have to put it onto my ever-growing movie list. I went in excited for Batman Begins because I loved Insomnia. And uh, Memento is one that I went back and picked up as well. Pretty much anything Christopher Nolan touches is great, so... Uh, um, these, these trilogy of dark Knight movies are certainly no exception to that. I'm a huge fan of his work. He's so good at telling stories. This is surprisingly the only one that I'm aware of. Am I, am I wrong, Chad? He normally doesn't tell his stories in a linear fashion. This is the most, this is the least complicated storytelling method that he takes. And even at that, it's still an involved story. I haven't seen Dunkirk or Interstellar. They're both on my list. But yeah, judging from the prestige and Inception they're very, and Memento, they're very jumbled movies. They're meant to confuse you. And the Batman trilogy is not. You're right. It's, it's told from plot A to B to C, and it just moves the story along. But it's still deeply intertwined and you know it's a it's a complicated plot you know i mean superhero movies don't normally have this weight to them it's a two hour 45 minute movie that's not normal and there's all these themes like we talked about the duality of these characters and you know the the soul of gotham is lying in the winds and so i i just feel like christopher nolan always gets the plot right it's always complicated his characters are deep and he is a excellent storyteller and he's a good cinematographer as well he clearly likes deception and trickery. His very first Batman villain after the prestige is Ra's al Ghul, League of Shadows, and their whole thing is operating the shadows, deception, trickery, misdirection, and then you get the Joker, and then Inception is a lot of, is it real, is it not real? So he does like to keep you guessing. Yeah, Memento has a lot of twists in it as well. Yes. Yeah. It's a great point. I like to be misdirected and taken through a path and go through that journey and perhaps that's why i like nolan so much most of these movies are a little bit on the darker side you'll notice none of these movies that we've talked about have a cheerful tone to them if anything interstellar might but it's for the vast majority of the movie it's not a happy situation there either it's just there's a there's a there's a dark tone to nolan's work but i still like it a lot I have to agree. Did you notice a difference in Batman Begins to The Dark Knight? Any kind of transformations that Nolan takes with the 
work? Uh, either one of you guys? I mean, if nothing else, the suit is clearly transformed and it actually becomes a huge plot point. They made it into this segmented pieces of armor and there are several different individual pieces and Lucius even says, oh, you want to turn your head, but it becomes Batman needs to move. He needs to be more agile. He can't just brute force his way into everything. I noticed he like spinning camera a lot more in the Dark Knight. Yeah. Because there's like this sense of being out of control in a few scenes. And he's orbiting the camera around the characters. So a time when you would see this is the argument between uh, Harvey Dent, uh, Commissioner Gordon, and Batman on the roof. And they're all arguing like whose fault it was. Are your cops clean? Can I trust you? And the camera's spinning around showing you each of their faces. And it slides around other objects. And it, 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 it puts you on earth. And then it comes to a stop when... They've kind of hit a point where they're they realize they can trust one another and they're going to move forward together. And similarly, the camera spins around the Joker at the dinner party when he's grabbing Rachel, and you know it's a very uncomforting situation. And that's not something that I remember seeing a lot in Batman Begins. And I just it's an effective thing that I noticed that he did in the Prestige, and I, he brought it into play here heavy in the Dark Knight, and I liked it. Yeah, I, you're right. It's something I highlighted as well. Just creating dizziness and confusion, just disorientation. He also got some toys to play with. He had, what was it, four out of the six IMAX cameras in the world. He was using those 37 minutes of IMAX footage. When we were doing the uh, Dark Knight Rises, uh, I think he had two IMAX cameras, and one of them broke, and he just made a joke. He's just like, no big deal. It's one of one of two available in the world right now. We'll just get another one. <laughs> <laughs> but those shots are, I mean, you had to see it in theater for the IMAX experience, but there are a lot of lingering shots too. He seems to dwell on just the despair and hopelessness. He leaves the camera on the shots where Batman begins. It's, it's a lot quicker to leave the scene. One thing that I remembered this movie being a lot more violent, and it's not actually that bloody. It's scary. The Joker himself is scary. He's very threatening, but there's not a lot of cut him up blood in this, and that that that's kind of surprised me when you go back through this. I mean, it's not as visually grisly. It's just very threatening. Yeah, and only there was blood four times in the movie. Everything oh, you can happened off, yeah. off screen. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't count. The internet counted for me, but as we're as we frequently say, the internet never lies. Never, it's always everything right. is always true. <laughs> always. The other one that I thought was interesting, uh, made me really remember thinking it was more violent and darker, was the interrogation scene, and that was an intense scene where Batman was basically beating Ledger, and I thought it was interesting that Nolan kind of stopped because Bale was in an interview and in that interrogation scene, Ledger wanted him to hit him hard. And uh, he wanted to feel the real thing, and so he wanted to he wanted to get into the mode and do it, and it, it got carried away. Uh, Nolan kind of uh, was like, "Man, hey, that's a lot." Well, it did get cut. It actually originally ended with Batman kicking the Joker in the head. He turns back and kicks the Joker in the head, and then leaves. And Nolan just thought that was a bridge too far. Yeah, that, that's kind of Batman breaking that principle of self restraint, and I'm glad. 
Yeah, I'm glad they did that. Nobody likes it when you get too into character. People complain about Jared Leto creeping you out as uh, as Joker in character. <laughs> so uh, you know, there's, you can take you can take the acting thing too far. So, how did you feel about the end of this movie, uh, Peyton? Did you like the Joker's fate being somewhat ambiguous? Yeah, um, I think it's. I mean, in terms of endings, I think it's. I mean, I think it's a suitable ending. It's. He, I would say he's done his damage. He's kind of, you know, reigned terror. But I think ultimately, you know, he's kind of defeated. He's kind of brought down, which, I mean, in the end, it's always good, always wins, which is what you see. But, I mean, I think in terms of endings, you know, his ending, it, it really, it's probably not my favorite. But it's something that I definitely would have to, you know, if I'm if I went through all the other two movies, I'd have to, you know, I'd have to definitely revisit before I made a really and a total decision on his ending versus, you know, others. It's like they left it open for him to come back, but then we never got him to come back. Exactly. I appreciated the symmetry, which probably drives you nuts with the 1989 Batman. Yes. Because it's a, it's a grappling gun that kills the Joker in 1989, knocks him off the building, and it's a grappling gun here that saves him, keeps him from breaking that one rule. So that that was a nice touch for me. And I, I love Joker spinning around saying, we could do this forever. Yeah, I think that's the part that I found a little bit unfulfilling from a movie standpoint. If it's a TV show, yeah, by all means, you can't get rid of a baddie that good. Uh, but on the other hand, in a movie, there's some degree of closure that I didn't have. And I almost want more. Like I said, I want more of these movies. I want Robin to come in. I want more... I want the Batman saga to unfold and sure, bring him back. But we didn't get that. And because we didn't get that, I think I have that incomplete feeling. Yeah. So you want to count Dooku in your movie to kill off? Uh, <laughs> I don't know about that, but I mean... Uh, Russell I'm... wants more throwaway villains, people. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, on the other hand, I didn't want Harvey Dent to be killed. So I wanted the. I feel like we got the Joker's run, and to Peyton's point, she said, "I feel like he did his damage." Whereas I felt like we did not get Two Face proper until it's two hours into this movie, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, I'm sure that that, that he is Two Face, and we only get about forty minutes of Two Face time, if if even that, to be honest. And so, I, I he's a good villain. And they did such a good job. Like I said, I might be biased because I said I had more interest in watching his character and his fall uh, than I did necessarily what was happening with the Joker. I wanted to see that come to greater fruition. Of I wanted to see him become the villain. And we didn't get to do that. I, I think the rampage was so severe and out in the open that you had to. There, there's so much you would have to change. And I liked all the foreshadowing of the city's going to turn on Batman and really the only way to accomplish that was to kill Harvey. Yeah. No, great point. Another cinematic thing that I noticed that Nolan does in this movie a lot more than the other movie is overhead shots, helicopter shots. Now that could be because he has more money to do it, but I think that he's doing that because I believe again, the stakes, it's that theme of the soul of Gotham city is in hand Will it be won out by the proper people in the, the system with Harvey and the White Knight? Or will it be won out by this chaotic 
Joker who wants to take the city's spirit and, you know, with chaos? Or will it be up to Batman to, you know, restore order and do it his way? And that unsettled feeling that the city has is kind of reinforced through these not particularly beautiful, but kind of slightly panning and zooming kind of overhead shots. And that puts you on edge. It shows you what's at stake and it reminds you of that throughout the movie. Yeah, I didn't. I don't know that I noticed the helicopter shots, but I don't blame him. If I had a bunch of money, I would do helicopter shots too. They're cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I most noticed that when he's uh, in uh, Hong Kong, is it when he's uh, jumping off of the building and the sky rise? I think that's one of the best um, kind of helicopter overhead type scenes that you see. And that one, that one to me, that's always like a kind of a breathtaking take um from a movie just like that and it does it it pans it like um you said before it does it's like it's not a still shot it pans around like and you see exactly like what you said before what's at stake you see that he's on a skyscraper and he's got literally everything to lose (laughs) jumping off but um it i think it's also again uh, a money thing if you have more money why not why not hang out of a helicopter and <laughs> I don't think it's gratuitous, Michael Bay. We've got more money, so let's put some more explosions in it. I really think that it was a conscious decision on Nolan's part that I want overhead shots in this movie. <laughs> they literally blew up an entire building. I think there was some gratuitous. We have money. Let's do it. Oh, I guess they did. I, I guess yeah. they did exactly what I just said. <laughs> We've got some money, so let's blow it up for real. Okay. I guess that's egg on my face. Good point. <laughs> So, they, they got a Lamborghini Murcielago just because it's a Spanish word for bat. Yeah. One thing that bothered me was Barbara Gordon is Gordon's wife. That did bug me. Barbara Gordon is bad girl, and that should be his daughter's name. And it's very unusual to see a mother-daughter named. Like, you know, sometimes you'll have, like, Jimmy Jr. Like, you don't see that with uh, the ladies as much. You don't see a daughter getting the mother's name handed down to her so unless that's what happened here shame on you christopher nolan that's you 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 robbed us of bad girl yeah that was a weird touch yeah maybe there's hey hey christopher nolan likes time play maybe maybe he's planning some inception stuff and there's going to be a time travel and maybe she still will be probably not get some lazarus pits to uh restore her youth Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm mm-hmm yeah Yeah, that's that's the League of Assassins kind of shadowy stuff that that could exist here. Yeah, it's the... Anyone dies, Lazarus Pit, just they're everywhere. Peyton mentioned at this point, this is kind of a makeup comment that comes down the line, but Ledger's makeup is only applied to his face. He's not white everywhere, and which means they're not going with the comic book side of things of Joker fell in a bat of chemicals, thus warping his mind and his skin and you know his hair is actually green uh this is a very different looking his face is scarred but he's not that different he actually looks like a guy who could walk down the street at one point when he's impostered as a a uh, one of the policemen in the marches so uh that's another one of those uh nolan's taken a number of liberties with the comic yeah i mean he's combining the long halloween was not a joker story but that is primarily what this movie is it's kind of a mix between long halloween and killing joke but along those lines i think the scars thing is fascinating and it really lends to the joker's character of just the want to know how i got these scars 
and then you never actually find out and it just makes it worse and worse and worse so he's describing all these horrific situations it's like probably none of these are true he probably did it to himself at this point i don't know what to believe but it's just insanity yeah peyton what do you think about the look of gotham city in the dark knight i personally like i mean i personally like the look i think it's I always forget, you know, kind of like where it's actually filmed. This one's Chicago. You know. This is heavy, yeah, this heavy is, Chicago. Yeah, this one is heavy Chicago. But um, I know like there were some films shot for um, The Dark Knight Rises in uh, Pittsburgh. So I think that it is done really well. And I was reading kind of about the filming and like it's set in Chicago and just kind of how they had changed some of the buildings for like where uh, Wayne enterprises was and i think it's a great set for you know all like the the chase scenes uh, like the police convoy scene kind of where they're down in the tunnels because i mean as someone who's been to chicago and seen kind of where these shots were filmed um, it's really interesting just to find that this is that's like gotham city it's that city area it's that you've kind of got those dark areas but also you've got that those big like skyscraper money type um buildings i think it's a great location i mean i'm always a fan of pittsburgh but can't go wrong with chicago yeah it's a very realistic gotham city no one wanted realism brought to his movies and he didn't try and fantasize very much with his version of gotham city i'll throw this out there because I, i'm not an architect so i'm not spotting all these buildings and stuff it's i'm holding back go ahead though <laughs> I, I felt this was less chicago-y than batman begins like batman begins to me even to me who is not that familiar with the city of chicago was like oh it's chicago and we've put a, a railway and wayne enterprises this one didn't feel as on point with chicago to me i felt like it's old chicago and the batman begins to your point and it probably has to do with what part of chicago you love which is why it's such a great city it's got these different layers to it it reinvented itself after the fire and there's this explosion of beautiful building from an older era and then it had this mid-century boom that it, it reinvented itself again and so you kind of see that first layer in more so so Wayne Enterprise is in an Art Deco building that's the Chicago Board of Trade building, and Batman begins, whereas here, they've moved it to Daly Center Plaza, which that's the building the Blues Brothers drive through in the lobby, and that's where Wayne Enterprise is for this one, and they wanted to have a more modern portrayal of Gotham City. It's almost like the city has gotten dramatically better in the last nine months since uh, Scarecrow was evicted. <laughs> There's been a building boom, and this is a much cleaner, nicer city, so... Uh, it's really interesting. They they definitely hit a lot of my favorites in Chicago. Uh, you know, the IBM building is at the inside of the boardroom that Wayne is in, the Illinois Center. Both of those are by Mies Vandro, great architect, uh, is in there. The elevated train scenes are distinctly Chicago. And, <clears throat> you know, the Sears Tower is, or the Willis Tower as it's now known, Batman's on top of that looking over the city and another one of those wonderful aerial shots. And that unfinished building that they're fighting the Joker in, that's the Chicago Trump Tower that was under construction at the time and would later go on to be built as well by Adrian Smith of SOM. So, And even there's like there's this scene where they're in an iconic Chicago restaurant called the Berghof. Uh, that's a like a staple, like, you got to eat here. It's a German restaurant that's been open since the 1800s. That's where Maroney is arrested and stuff like that. And they zoom out in your Navy Pier as the city's being evacuated. It's really literally got a lot of the high points 
of Chicago. It's almost like a nice little travelogue. It's not presented in a glamorous, glamorous way, but on the other hand, uh, it's a much cleaned up, more modern, sophisticated. We're not at Wayne Manor in this movie. We don't see the Batcave. We don't see that gothic, dark, art deco side of things that Tim Burton featured so heavily in his first two movies. Which, by the way, if you want to hear about one of those movies, we can we did Batman Returns oh so long ago, so go back and check out that episode too. Long answer to my question was it did feel Chicago-y to you? <laughs> it did, it did, but it's different to Peyton's point. Like it's which which side of Chicago are you on? Pittsburgh was distracting. Like you can't drive from there to there. <laughs> <laughs> I would have to agree with you there. <laughs> I think that I think that happens for any time that you know the actual geography. It was fascinating. They filmed it right. It was filmed in July, and it was right by my place of work. And we walked down the street, and there was snow because it had to be cold. And we went to the the stadium to film that that scene, and we were told to wear heavy winter coats. And it was like eighty five degrees, and that was a twelve hour shot. <laughs> It's like, you're cold, you're cold, act cold. And we're like, no, no, we're dying. <laughs> so you mentioned earlier that you like the Joker's attire that kind of, I mean, he's kind of got like a, maybe a steampunk kind of rougher appearance. And you liked that about the makeup and, and the wardrobe, Peyton, is that right? Yes, that is correct. I did like that kind of disheveled look that he has. Okay, and that's, a, that's another one of those departures from the comic books. I think most people really did like it. It seems to have been one of those Halloween costumes that uh, was the hot Halloween costume for a good five years. Yes, yes. It's such an iconic look. If you do it poorly, and not to belabor the point, but I am looking at you, Suicide Squad, people get really, really mad. So the, the new suit, uh, for Joker and for Batman. I mean, we've all heard the fanboys rants on the nipples on the bat suit. So you've got to get the bat suit right, too. And I thought they nailed both of them. It's a good bat suit. Yes. They've increased the mobility in it by making those smaller armor plates. Uh, it's it's a good looking bat suit. I prefer this to the stubby ears that Ben Affleck later goes on to have. I like my Batman to have a certain amount of ears. Yeah, I'm with you there. The uh, Joker, one fun thing, I, we were talking about Cesar Romero version. In the beginning, Joker and his gang all have masks on. And there's an episode of the old Adam West version of Batman where Joker has a clown mask on. And that is very, very similar to the one that Joker is wearing during the heist of this movie. So that's a really fun little callback to the old days. Yeah, I thought that was a really cool callback. Yeah. Are there any special effects that caught your eye as being awesome or not so awesome, Peyton? I would say kind of. All the, I liked um, all the explosions, you know, all this, the, especially I, the one scene that always will stay with me is uh, the police convoy scene. And, you know, they, you know, they're all chasing each other down in that tunnel. And then um, I think it's always hilarious, you know, when those kids are sitting in that car and they're, you know, play fighting with like finger guns and all of a sudden there's that big explosion and uh, just kind of like, I think all of the, all of the Batmobile, like the Batmobile, the car, uh, the motorcycle, I think those are just, to me, are so, I guess, kind of Playboy type effects that, I mean, in seeing them like built and actually like as sets later that you can see in like, you know, museums, it's just incredible, like that these were built for these movies. I think those are some of the, some of the things that I really love. 
about this movie. Mm-hmm. That was a fantastic scene. Peyton's right. Uh, all the cars going everywhere. The uh, Is that a bazooka? And he's shooting yeah. the RPG. Just <laughs> progressively ridiculous <laughs> weapons. Cars flipping everywhere. I didn't know until I read about this that it was... They actually did blow up the building. I figured, eh, CGI. CGI everything. So, no, the, the special effects are cool, especially when they're able to do practical effects. Mm-hmm. Like, they built a Batmobile that looks like that. Yeah. I, I don't want to be down on this one, but I've never liked the Nolan Batmobile. Like, it doesn't feel like a Batmobile. Obviously, they put a lot of realism into it. They wanted something that felt like it could be rough and tumble. They call it the tumbler, and they wanted something that could feasibly do some of all of these things. So there is a lot of science-based design in what they're doing. And it's interesting when you see some of the DVD features talking about this, about combat vehicles and how they wanted to talk about if you wanted a car to like kind of pop a wheelie and then if you hit a jet blast, could it actually jump? And yeah, they could actually do some of these things. And these are advancements that you might see and stuff coming down the line. And good James Bond or Batman movies will always kind of stay one step ahead of where the technology is and kind of dream. And it's really interesting how some of those things influence the people who grow up watching them and those are the scientists of tomorrow. And those things that seem like they're one step ahead or kind of out there will become tomorrow's reality. And so it's, it, is in, it is very much in keeping with that advancing it one step further. I just thought the style of these things, especially for a second movie, if you wanted to give them like a rugged look in the first movie, like I'm putting this together and I'm learning how to do it. I just didn't feel like it looked like a Batmobile as much. I know I, I do kind of want to see some of those... I don't know. There's that. I kind of I fell in love with Tim Burton's Batmobiles. So that elongated, you know, with the bat fins and stuff like that, to me is is still always going to be my Batmobile. That is the best Batmobile. I did want. I did love it when he kicked out the, the motorcycle off the actual Batmobile. When he did that, I was like, whoa. <laughs> and this film lives up to its name too. The lighting. It's dark. It's dark all the time. That is kind of, I know you like the bright Burton colors, but darkness is so essential to Batman's identity and his operations that it fits for me. Oh, I thought Burton depicted Gotham as a crappier, dirtier, scarier place, to be honest with you. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just throw in this is the only Batman movie where Batman doesn't use a batarang. Like, come on couldn't fit that in anywhere in the two hours and 40 minutes i love when the kid's like no one's ever gonna believe me that i saw this in one of the other movies and he hands him like a batarang (laughs) (laughs) hans zimmer did the soundtrack for this one it's a lot more jarring and a lot more unsettling than the previous movie peyton did you like the music of this movie i did i like i think it's a good soundtrack i think really for all of honestly christopher nolan's movies i think they all have good soundtracks i would say this one's really no different that it it has i think it it fits perfectly i think that you know kind of from the intro to this uh lone scenes of the joker it's ominous it's dark it uh it's it's like an unsettling overall dark soundtrack that i do like Mm -hmm. chad i think i appreciated the minimalist approach the most the sound particularly in the prison transport scene is really muted so we can hear the cars on the pavement all the swerving that's going on the explosions there's just so much that's being picked up by zimmer knowing when to 
back off. I mean, we could have had a full-blown theme and just excitement. If you watch the new Joker movie, it's got a lot of common pop songs in it, which is very an interesting decision. This one, the theme's only used twice. Uh, the full-on Batman theme, you only hear it twice. Mm-hmm. And it's just that deep brass sound, but it's used effectively. And I appreciate the restraint on Zimmer's part. I'm sure you'll want to talk about some of some of the unique things he did for Joker scenes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so for playing some of that part of the score, he was really experimenting by playing piano wires with, like, razor blades and shards of metal and glass. So, um he was really uh, breaking the box on that one. Do you guys want to hand out some awards now? I would love to. All right. Peyton, who's your MVP of The Dark Knight? Heath Ledger, for sure. He's, yeah, he would be my MVP. Rest in peace. Good, Great choice, and I think that's yeah. the usual answer. Is that yours as well, Chad? I really want to give it to Christopher Nolan, but I can't. Yeah, I've got to give it to Heath Ledger. Second favorite Joker of all time, mesmerizing performance, and just the chaos he brings to this role is absolutely deserving of that oscar and then his tragic passing just cements this film as legendary yeah it changes the legacy of how we view him as an actor uh you know he's not just a pretty face in fact uh he's he was a gifted actor and he's my pick for mvp as well he's not my favorite joker but i you can't deny this really resonated and for an entire generation this is their joker and um it's uh, it's very well done, and you, you won't forget it, and it's a shame that we didn't get to see him come back and do it again. So, uh, Best Supporting Actor, Peyton. Um, my Best Supporting Actor would be Gary Oldman as James Gordon. I think he's, I think he's incredible, and he plays that um, protector of Gotham City, that law and order character who does trust uh, Batman. I, he would definitely be my Best Supporting. Love it. Excellent choice. Great choice. Chad, who's yours? And there were so many great castings here. <laughs> you really can't go wrong. It's a buffet. Yeah. You can't. Um, Michael Caine, for me, his speeches and banter are just captivating. And I really like how he tells the story about the man in Burma throwing away the stolen gems. Just his delivery of some men just want to watch the world burn. Like It's compelling. Well, this shows you how deep this cast is, because I'm going to go with Morgan Freeman on this one. I thought I was going to go Michael Caine, but I feel like he shines through more in the previous movie. And he doesn't get as much time on screen this time. So I was between Oldman and and Morgan Freeman, and and everybody gets their due here. So uh, I love him and the guy who's running the company and fully knows what's going on with Batman. And I just, I love his uh, wink, wink, nod, nod character. And I love the line where he's just like, so you th- so you want to out the guy who has a multi-billion dollar corporation behind you and is Batman and picks apart villains with his bare hands and you want to anger this guy? Be my guest. <laughs> <laughs> like, and, and this like laughing, didn't even hesitate. Freeman just... Ah, so good on this one. So, uh, Hidden Gem. Who is your Hidden Gem, Peyton? I would probably have to say Michael Caine. I mean, he kind of, he he has his role, but I think he's always kind of underappreciated. I mean, he he's a staple in the Batman movies. He, I mean, he really, he shapes them. He shapes Batman. He shapes Bruce Wayne. I think he's very underappreciated. Great choice. Chad, who is your Hidden Gem? I'm going deep. I couldn't even find the guy's name. I wish I had like an x-ray feature on my Blu-ray, but 
It's the guy in the prisoner transport car who was really chatty. He's talking to the other driver who turned out to be Jim Gordon. And he keeps saying things like, I hope you're a good driver and screaming, that's not good. Okay, that's not good. (laughs) (laughs) That is a deep cut. He's just this extra who is showing the panic of these police officers and the madness going on. It adds a little bit of levity that keeps it fun. And that's that scene that Peyton mentioned where the kids are using the fake gun and stuff like that. There's a little bit of comedic relief in this movie, and I'm glad that they did that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this movie needs moments of light like that. Uh, I'm going to go with, and this is a very difficult name to pronounce, so I, I'm sorry if I get this wrong, but his name's David Das Malkian. And he is the Joker's thug assassin who Two-Face holds at gunpoint. Man, he he's so convincing as this crazy guy who doesn't even know what he's doing i i thought he looked familiar and sure enough he's an ant-man oh yes so yeah he's one of the uh lovable support characters in ant-man recast somebody if you had to recast somebody who would it be and who would you put in their place Peyton. i saw that emily blunt was actually a runner-up for rachel dawes character and i i think she would be an excellent uh, replacement honestly i think she would do it very well i approve of that that's a that's a, yeah. that's a nice recast, yeah. Chad, who would you recast? I love the casting throughout this movie. Uh, if I'm recasting one person, even though Maggie Gyllenhaal is the vastly superior actress, I'm, I'm replacing her with Katie Holmes just so I have continuity. I understand Katie Holmes <laughs> walked away, but just go back and show her, here's how much Dark Knight will make. Would you like a part of this? I went for Rachel as well. I challenged myself to not... Do what you just did, Chad, because that is definitely the, that is, you know, I would totally like to keep the same actress in there. I didn't like Maggie Gyllenhaal quite as much. I thought that she did not have the fire and the spirit that we saw with Katie Holmes. I thought Maggie Gyllenhaal did not have the backbone that I wanted out of the role. And I'm going to go with Jennifer Connelly. Mm, I approve. (laughs) Emily Blunt, Jennifer Connelly, all good. Yeah. I just think we get a... I don't know. I think she can have more backbone that uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal didn't deliver. So best shot of the movie is Peyton. I think when they come out of the police convoy scene and they're up on the street and uh, Batman goes under the semi truck that the Joker's driving and it flips and you see him and he kind of flops out kind of like a, like a fish. He kind of comes crawling out of this upturned, upturned semi truck and, you know, Batman's coming out and he's like, come on, hit me, hit me. Like that's, it's just such like a, a psychotic, like who who stands there and is like, come on, hit me. But it's so Joker. Um, I think that that probably would have to be one of my favorites. Mm, that's in every promo or like like when people make videos and look back on it fondly. That's in every one of them. That's a wonderful pick. And to your point of the, they changed the Wayne Enterprise Tower. That's the old Wayne Enterprise Tower from Batman Begins directly behind him. That's the Chicago Board of Trade building behind him. So still around. That was a great shot of him crawling out and he even disorientally shoots the gun into the ground. Like, he's just so dizzy. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Chad, can you tap it? Uh, That's a tough shot to uh, compete with. I'm going with the hospital explosions, though. It's, Mm. It's all one shot and it's this long, probably four or five minute shot and it lingers on the chaos even as... The explosions don't work. And Joker's sitting there hitting it repeatedly and then slowly walking away happy. And it's just 
center framed and lingers and it's great you know when ledger came out he wasn't supposed to have to hit the button repeatedly it was just supposed to go off but there were some malfunctions in it and they because they were actually blowing a building up and things weren't going well ledger ad-libbed that whole like come on come on come on work 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 which was kind of done in a humorous way and it plays really well in the real role but the fact of the matter is it almost didn't work and if he had looked around and behind him and he had just was like where's the boom like that would have been a big that would have been a big whoopsie so credit for ledger for not letting his guard down he had a couple great ad libs the the scene in when he's actually in jail and he starts the slow clap for jim gordon being promoted that was ad-libbed and nolan just told him go with it he liked it so much and that was that was great of him mocking him yeah yeah peyton took my best shot so i'm gonna give a runner-up or a nod to i like when harvey tells batman you can't give in half of his left face is like covered in darkness and it's really good foreshadowing of what will become of two-face later because later two-face comes out of the shadows and the burned half of his face is in the shadows as he's holding gordon's family hostage so it's kind of a call ahead slash forward a foreshadowing slash callback uh, with that lighting and shot so um but peyton robbed me (laughs) best scene in the movie peyton my best scene, uh, that would have been the hospital scene. I love how it's ad-libbed. I think it's just done so well. And it fits. It fits so well. Um, you know, as the movie it's like comes full circle. And just, it, it's, I do, I love that part. And he's pressing the button. He's like, come on, come on, come on. It is. I think it's great. I, I would venture to say it's a little humorous. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of like that comedic relief. And it, it's a brighter scene. I think it's, it's just the acting in that. It just, it's, it's fantastic. It's one of the only times we see the Joker being funny by wearing a nurse, you know, exactly. orderly costume. So, I mean, uh, I, I want, yeah. I want more of that from my Joker. Yeah. Chad, who's, what is your best scene? Peyton described it in her shot, but it's the hit me scene where he's begging Batman to hit him from the cycle. The, come on, come on, come on, hit me, hit me. And his acting and the hesitation from Batman is really powerful and, you can feel the conflict in Batman, even though you know he'll ultimately swerve. And it's just the guttural scream from Batman at the end of just, I can't break my rule. The ah! And he crashes his bike. I love everything about that scene. Wow, you guys traded best shot and best scene with each other. Damn. My best scene has to do with the conclusion with Two Face holding Gordon's family hostage. You know, ultimately, Batman taking the blame. It, to me, it's a very powerful scene. It's a very powerful movie. I almost wish I felt like that was so powerful it could have stood on its own in another movie. And I'm sad that we didn't get that in between chapter. I didn't want to get rid of Dark Knight Rises. I just this was so strong it could have even stood on its own. So that was my best scene. And uh, just a quick nod to the Bruce Wayne fundraiser was awesome when Joker comes in and you realize the story about the scars on his face is all made up and it's different every time he tells it and any empathy you were building for him is gone this guy's a psycho and he's all bad news so and bruce wayne has to wear all three of those faces real bruce public bruce and then go into action mode and become batman all at once i like that scene a lot too it's a great scene change one thing peyton oh that's a hard one it probably would have to be with the part of the dinner scene when they throw Rachel off of the building. I don't know. There's just something about like Maggie Gyllenhaal's acting in that scene that it just kind of, I didn't like it. It was like, it was just never, it's never done anything for me. I don't know if it's just 
I'm not the biggest fan of her. Um, but I just think that it's kind of over dramatic for the movie. I mean, it's dark, it fits, but it's just I, I would have replaced it with something else. With Emily Blunt screaming. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Uh, I, I, you know, I have a feeling Maggie Gyllenhaal is going to get a, get a number of these things. Uh, Chad, change one thing. I would have preferred a less important villain get captured in the beginning. Maybe someone like Victor Zaz. I just, punking out the scarecrow makes me sad. Okay, yeah. So you didn't like, you did not like the little callback. You would prefer him to just not sit this one out, huh? The scarecrow is weak, but he's a great villain, so I, I don't like just putting him out in the open. Put Victor Zaz out there. Okay. My change one thing is going to be to let Two-Face live for another movie. I kind of set it up in the last one, but he's too good, too interesting to just kill off uh, 40, 30, 30 minutes probably after just getting a hold of him as a villain proper. And Nolan even said that if he had known that he was going to make a third Batman movie, Harvey Dent wouldn't have died. Hmm. Yeah, I felt somewhat justified when I read that. I was like, oh. But on the other hand, people were asking him at like a Comic-Con type panel, is uh, Two-Face going to be in another movie? And, uh, you know, he shook his head. No, no, of course not. Like, you know, it's more of a, you know, you can't blow up the Death Star twice. Or can you? <laughs> As it turns out, three times. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, Peyton, what is your best quote of The Dark Knight? During the dinner scene when the Joker's like, want to know how I got these scars? Because it's, you don't actually know. I mean, there's so much left up for inter- uh, not interpretation, but up to guess because he gives you so many different reasons and it's, it leaves you wondering, what is the truth? Yeah, he's, he's a giant question mark for sure. Chad, what's your best quote? If you're good at something, never do it for free. Yeah, that's, 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 that's a good lesson, actually. <laughs> that is solid life <laughs> advice from the joke. It is. I was going to say, that's, that's one of those pieces of advice that you can listen to. <laughs> He's not a giant question mark. Edward Nigma is a giant question mark. That's true. My best quote does come from Michael Caine, where he says, because some men aren't looking for anything logical like money. They just can't be bought. They can't be bullied, reasoned, or negotiated with. Some men just want to watch the world burn. That's my second choice. No one went with why so serious. Now, it is the time of the show where we give our rating. Peyton, on a five-star scale with half-star intervals, what would you rate The Dark Knight? With a half-star interval? Mm-hmm. I'd probably I'd give it a four. This is your top three movies, though right it is you're tough yeah it is you're tough <laughs> wow <laughs> she's still waiting i hope one and two have fun i was gonna say i was gonna say you can you can go 4.5 i mean wow that's that's tough okay chad are you gonna be as tough as peyton on this movie i'm not this is five stars for me and it's it's more relevant now than when it when i first watched it i mean how much more relevant is symbols of hope and order becoming corrupt and doing the wrong things in our society right now? We've got protesting in our cities because people have become corrupt and symbols that are supposed to be of law and order aren't doing what they're supposed to. And we're just seeing that hope lost and the reaction to it. So yeah, this this is an even more powerful movie in 2020 than it is in 2008. Wow, why so serious, Chad? <laughs> i have i have some scars yeah great points i'm gonna join peyton in the four camp and while i appreciate this far more than i used to 
there's part of me that I will always have my Batman and it, it is Tim Burton and it is Jack Nicholson. It is that Gotham city. It is the comic book side of things. So I I'm really happy to see this version in a new light though. And I appreciate it far more. So I'm Jordan Payton on the four train. All right. Very good. All right. Chad, you want to help me pick a movie for next time? I'm excited. All right. We're going to sample the finer selections of Christian Slater on this one. You ready? Excellent. Option one, Broken Arrow from 1996. Terrorists steal nuclear warheads from the U.S. military, but don't count on a pilot and park ranger spoiling their plans. Option two, True Romance from 1993. In Detroit, a lonely pop culture geek marries a call girl, steals cocaine from her pimp, and tries to sell it in Hollywood. Meanwhile, the owners of the cocaine, the mob, track down and attempt to reclaim it. Option three, Cuffs from 1992. George Cuffs a, leaves a pregnant girlfriend. He visits his brother, Brad, to bum money off of him. Brad and George ID a killer at the San Francisco PD, but to no avail. George inherits Brad's patrol district, and he must keep it in order to get to the killer in a comedy. I feel like he wrote my plot summary for all of those movies. But uh, yeah, I'm going to go True Romance. All right. True Romance it is. And Peyton, thank you so much for coming on and joining us for The Dark Knight. Yes, thank you. Thanks for inviting me. I had so much fun. And we had fun as well. And thank you all the lords, ladies, and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable. We invite you to reach out to us. We want to hear from you, so subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast. Those ratings and reviews and subscriptions really help others find the show. It helps us out, and uh, we really appreciate it. Give us a like on Facebook and engage with us. Tell us what you thought of the episodes and what you thought of the, about the movies each week. We love to hear from you guys. We always love opinions. And uh, follow us on Twitter at, at movie underscore retro. Email us at retromovieroundtable at yahoo.com if you want to go in more depth or if you want to be on the show. Thank you. And uh, thank you, as always, for listening. Be good to each other and watch more movies. Chad? This one's for you, Russell. Tell me something, my friend. Have you ever danced with the devil in the pale moonlight? Yes! <laughs> Let's get nuts! <laughs> <laughs>